0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We've got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, John Morant, Joe Johnson's, Ja John Raff's, of course. We've got Jays. We've got him for days. Josh, how are you doing?
1: Okay, so I got a question for you. Okay. We're, we're not going to, we, we made an executive decision. We're not going to go revisit all the stuff we talked about Monday as Indiana and Kentucky both lost again, mm-hmm. but- the more this is happening to Kentucky, and especially after that loss to a South Carolina team that it's not been great. <laughs> there are so many different levels to this John Cal Perry conversation, right? Should they fire him? Will they fire him? Will Texas approach him? All these different things. The question I'm most interested in at this moment that I want your perspective on is how much of a factor in all of this is DJ Wagner? Right. Because DJ Wagner is not just a guy who committed to Kentucky. DJ Wagner is the full circle completion of John Calipari's one and done philosophy. John Calipari's first one and done recruit was DJ Wagner's dad. So there's a personal relationship there that goes well beyond just, oh, this guy's really good and he decided he's going to go to Kentucky no matter who the coach is. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm just, the more this is turning into an absolute disaster for Kentucky, I'm just wondering. Because I just don't see any way that anything's going to happen until after DJ Wagner leaves because of how tight he is to Cal Perry in particular, which is not the case with every recruit. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a factor? Are we going to be talking about that as a factor at all at the end of this? Or am I just sort of trying to throw something else into the conversation that doesn't need to be there?
0: Um, I'm sure it matters. I mean, in the same way that any coach that I'm not sure DJ Wagner is that special in that sense though like Mm -hmm. if if his if he had the top I mean he has like four of the top seven recruits if anybody had four of the top seven recruits and that's part of what makes it so intriguing is because Calipari's I don't know if standard is the right word because I've talked endlessly on this podcast about how I don't think he really cares about whether or not he wins basketball games or not. So like his standard of winning is just not that high. It's certainly not nearly as high as his standard of recruiting is. So it's such an intriguing situation because. And I don't really know how close he is to getting fired or how close he is to leaving for the Texas job, for instance, but no coach, if he does get fired this year, no coach in the history of ever has gotten fired with four of the top 7 recruits coming in the next year. Never. I mean, he might be, he and K are like the only coaches ever to have a recruiting class that right. features four of the top 7 recruits coming into his program. So I'm sure like I'm sure for him it like I'm just not sure if you ask Kentucky the pro, the program like maybe for Calipari it does. But if you ask Kentucky is it you we're not going to fire him because we're worried about DJ Wagner specifically not coming to Kentucky I bet it would be more general than that that it's just I mean if we get if we fire him we're probably losing at least half of those guys the second he walks out the door right I mean I would be surprised to fall for if it's because like Calipari is the guy in the room it's not like Shire Mm -hmm. at Duke where Shire was really the workhorse in the recruiting for several years before, and it was just K kind of the icing on top of the cake to close deals. So I don't know. That's a good question. The, The other thing I want to bring up is that like, are we sure that Kentucky is better than South Carolina? This is the tough part about like, like like when we really look, are we positive that they're better than South Carolina? And I mean, because this is this is the t- I mean, they haven't I, beaten anybody good. South Carolina this, hasn't beaten anybody good. It's not like they showed us anything they hadn't showed us over and over and over again already this season.
1: I need to see more from South Carolina before I entertain that possibility.
0: And I'm not going to act like I care about what's happened on the floor for South Carolina. I still have. I, wa- I didn't watch the Kentucky game. I, I haven't watched a single second of South Carolina. So the the point being is that we are that that we being college basketball people in general. Like South Carolina starts off bad. OK, South Carolina is just bad. Kentucky, we just kind of re-diagnose over and over again that Kentucky is bad. It's the same thing we did with North Carolina.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: North Carolina, it was like three games into the season. Everybody should have come to the consensus that North Carolina wasn't as good as we thought they were. But for the next two weeks, when they kept losing, it was, well, is, is North Carolina really that good? Is North Carolina really that good? Wow, they lost to Indiana at, at Assembly Hall. Like, none of these things were really that surprising if you look at what had already happened. So, like, I'm like, is it really annoying for Kentucky fans that they lost to South Carolina? Yeah. And should they have lost at, at Rupp? No, probably not, and I don't actually think South Carolina is as good as Kentucky. But at the same time, it's also a team who gets smoked by every good team that they play. You know, LSU's ninetieth at Kimpom, and they only beat them by three at home. Like, I, I'm just not sure that I'm all that surprised by the by the outcome. To be honest with you, um, but I, you know, there's such a Train like yeah it's such an intriguing conversation like how calipari to kind of bring it back to where to, to where you had initially you know brought it up it's such an intriguing conversation because everything calipari does is pretty unprecedented and when he gets fired or when he leaves it'll be pretty unprecedented because like kentucky hasn't been great you know the last six or seven years and it seems pretty much since that you know Carl Anthony Towns teams, it feels like we're either, you know, they certainly haven't been over exceeding expectations. But whether Kentucky fans are ready to hear it or not, the second he walks out the door, your chances of being a good, a good basketball team go down because whoever comes in isn't going to be the recruiter that Calipari is. The possibilities of the guys you bring in the building every single year like that talent level is going to go down. So what does that mean for Calipari? Is Calipari just over it? Or because there's another place that he could go with the with the same kind of resources. Is the AD and the rest of the university just over it at this point? I don't know. They're all very intriguing questions.
1: Because the final thing, this is ultimately kind of where I got to on this question. is I agree with you that generally speaking, DJ Wagner isn't different than other, any other top recruit Kentucky gets and Kentucky gets enough of them that you're not doing anything based off of one guy Mm -hmm. at the same time though I agree with what you said this idea of you would be scared to make that decision because of the impact it could have on recruiting Mm -hmm. so then my and we don't need to go into a whole thing on this but then my head goes to okay if that's your philosophy and that's your thought process then Cal Perry is leaving when Cal Perry wants to, no matter how bad this gets, because he's going to continue to recruit at a high level. Sure. That's kind of where that question came from of, is it okay? He's got DJ Wagner coming in. DJ Wagner is, you know, this close relationship, this long history. So we're not pulling the trigger now, but if this goes down the drain again next season, it's a different conversation. That's just where I'm, I'm curious if that ever changes, because I don't think the recruiting is going to change. So are you just going to keep doing the same thing over and over? That's yeah,
0: a- it's a good, it's a fair question for sure. And I I guess my main response would be if there is a recruit that would get him to think that way, it would be D.J. Wagner. And I also think D.J. Wagner would follow him wherever he went. And mm-hmm. I think the program knows that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So if they want D.J. Wagner to play basketball in Lexington next year, they need him to stick around at least right. one more year.
1: Yeah, there's just some interesting X factor elements to this happening with DJ Wagner coming next season.
0: The, the last thing I want to say. That apart from, and, and this is just kind of speaks to the un, completely unrealistic expectations of Kentucky fans and just the overblown nature of any time Kentucky struggles. Um, other than the COVID year. When John Calipari's team went nine and 16. John Calipari's lost double digit games in college basketball seasons. One, two, three, three times at Kentucky. It's never been more than 12. All three of those years, he won at least 26 games. Excuse me. At least 21 games. That was all the way back in 2013. And I believe that was the New Orleans Noel per year. Maybe not. I. That might be a little early for that, but I think it might have been. Um, at one point, N'Ronswell got hurt, and that was like the guy that was the number one recruit in the country. And then he got hurt, and Kentucky's season went off the rails after that. My point, just being, and within that, he has years of twenty six and eight, twenty five and six, thirty and seven, thirty two and six, twenty seven and nine, thirty eight and one, thirty eight and two, and thirty five and three. The point, just being, is that it's the the. What winning and success means to different programs is, you know, fluctuates (laughs) unbelievably, right? right? I mean, we could go look at Northwestern and see how many years Doug Collins has been there and be like, why in the world is Doug Collins still the coach at Northwestern? I like Doug Collins. Chris.
1: Doug's dad. Excuse me.
0: Doug. No, not Doug. Chris. Chris Collins. My bad.
1: (laughs) It's one of the Collinses.
0: (laughs) But my point being the same Mm -hmm. is that Chris Collins is, is still at Northwestern, and his track record at Northwestern suggests that they should have moved on as a Power Five conference team, like before now, and they haven't. So it's just an interesting conversation because, like, Calipari shouldn't be fired. He shouldn't. I mean, I don't know who. Needs I do no, I agree too. But in in Lexington, it's like, oh my god! And part of it's the expectations because this team was supposed to be really, really good. The National Player of the Year on his way back, yada yada yada. But the expectation from Kentucky fans and the "Oh my God, the world is crashing down" when they're ten and six is um is is borderline amusing. And a testament just...
1: to what Calipari's done. Mm-hmm.
0: As much as I hate testifying to what Calipari has <laughs> done, it is a testament to what Calipari do- is done. Um, okay, good old fashioned. Let's talk about what happened on the floor last night in college basketball podcast. Um, no, no bells or whistles coming along with this one. No fancy titles or games that we'll be playing. There are four basketball games we want to talk about in a and yet another good night of college basketball. Four games, two in the big two in the big east, one in the big 12, one in the SEC, because I don't know if you knew Josh, there are a lot of really good teams at the top of the big East and they just kind of play what seem to be really important basketball games.
1: (laughs) They're just all playing each other over this two week stretch. It's incredible.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you know, that's tough when, you know, two of the four teams that we're talking about here, maybe not two of the four, um, you know, two of the five being you know, Marquette and Providence being way better and way more important on the national stage than they were ever supposed to be then you kind of end up with this, you know, they're all bunched together when it was just supposed to be like a, like a solid portion of the schedule. And now you've got, you know, who do we talk about on the last pod? Like somebody is playing Providence, UConn and Creighton in the in the next three games. Um, Maybe it was Marquette. I'm not sure, but anyways, yes, they're all together. There are a lot of really good games kind of in this two week stretch, but last night, number 25 marquette 82 number 6 yukon 76 marquette down by 4 at halftime outscores the huskies by 10 in the second half 49 to 39 82 76 like i said the final score marquette's guys that have been doing it all year just kind of doing it again tyler cole like doing his thing distributing the basketball and they get enough done at home to come back and beat UConn what say you
1: yeah I mean Marquette <laughs> just doing what Marquette does offensively casual 50% shooting from the field just another day at the office and on the UConn side, I mean Donovan Klingin was a monster off the bench if there's one thing this UConn team to, can hold on to it's somewhere you get production off that bench it seems like every game whether it's Klingin having a really good game or somebody else and Klingin can you know contributing a little bit because he's obviously a factor, even if he's only scoring eight points as opposed to 20. But this is becoming a thing with these guards. Andre Jackson, Tristan Newton, Jordan Hawkins, eight to 23 for 24 points. And, you know, it was Sunogo the game before it was Donovan Klingon in this game. It's not like the interior has, there was a little bit of a stretch where, you know, we were talking about his, his team's kind of figured Sonogo out and, he hasn't been quite the same player since they got into conference play, obviously. But then you have Donovan Klingon to go sort of fill that gap in a game like this. And so the interior is not the problem. Adamas' Snogos struggles are not the problem here. The problem is you're just getting no efficiency from that perimeter, and it is simply not good enough to win these games against the other teams in the Big East, especially on the road against a Marquette team that's going to show up and play hard because they're coached by Shaka Smart. And they've figured out how to turn this into an efficient offense and move the ball really well and all that kind of stuff. They're difficult to scheme against. And so now I'm getting a little conflicted about UConn because part of me still believes in them 100%. And part of me is really wondering if they're as good as the – and we'll get to the the other teams in this conversation in the next game. But if they have the ability – game after game to keep pace with the best teams in the big East. I'm not jumping ship quite yet, but this is becoming a major concern that th- somebody has to produce from the guard position. Cause if there's one question about this team I have, it's who's that guy at the end of a game. Are you feeding Sanogo? Right. And you look at the, uh, the other teams in this conference, they kind of have that more defined and it's kind of just, you know, point guard by committee, Andre Jackson, Tristan Newton, Jordan Hawkins needs to be able to shoot the ball really well and sometimes that doesn't happen. There's just a lot of a lot of question marks and things that need to there's a lot that needs to go right to beat UConn and there's a lot of things UConn needs to go right to beat the best teams in the Big East. That's kind of where I'm at.
0: It's unacceptable that Adama Snogo in a big game is 5 of 7 from the field. I, With all due respect to Donovan Klingon Donovan Klingon is not better than Adama Snogo. No. <laughs> Even if he might have arguably been last night. In nineteen minutes, he was ten of ten on five of seven from the field. Like I like I don't I don't care how good Donovan Klingon has been. You don't play him over to Adama Sinogo ever. All of the games that you kind of struggled in correlate to how many shots Sonogo has taken. The guards were horrendous against Creighton. Horrendous. Why'd they win the basketball game? To know who was the best player on the floor. Exactly. They fed him the entire game. And he hit a couple threes and he was on the end of the, you know, he was in the right place every single time in that long possession that kind of sealed the game when it was, you know, a a minute long possession because they got so many, you know, tip outs and offensive rebounds. Like, I, I I I mean, playing both for all I care. Just playing both for five minutes. Just see how it goes. If if you feel like Klingon's playing that well, but it's irresponsible as a head coach to let your the best player in the Big East go five of seven from the field and only play nineteen minutes when he only had one foul. Like I like like since when are we not playing our best player just because somebody off the bench is playing pretty well? That's what happened last night. Donovan Klingon should never play more minutes than Adam Sanogo. Never. Because Adam Sanogo stretches the floor now. Adam Sanogo is shooting like 40% from the three-point line and taking like 30 of them. So like he's not taking a ton of them, but he's also not taking seven of them.
1: And he's certainly more of a threat to stretch the floor than Klingon is, regardless exactly. of whether he's hitting him at a high clip or not.
0: Exactly. And he's doing both of those things Mm -hmm. relatively, especially for a guy who took one three pointer in his first two years of college, didn't make one took one total. And he's added it to his game. So, um, all of the things you just said are true. The guards have to be better. And you know, I can't, you know, what? Eight of, what is that? Eight of 23. Mm -hmm. My apologies. If you gave that stat already, um, Three of 12 from the three-point line. Yeah, I mean, what you said is absolutely true. And that might end up being why UConn doesn't win the basketball game. But, I'm sorry, win the Big East. But, like, (laughs) I I don't understand. Like, Dan Hurley's a really good basketball coach. And I thought he made a fundamental mistake of not putting his best player on the floor as much as he could. That just That just fails the out loud test. It just does. And, and maybe, maybe there was something else going on, but like, I watched back this game because I didn't get to see it live. And before I watched the game, I I saw how many minutes Sonogo had played and just assumed he was, he had been in foul trouble and he hadn't been. And I just don't, I like good for Donovan, Donovan Klingon. Like it's like, it would be even more outrageous if the, if Klingon didn't have 20 and 10, on 8 of 11 shooting. But like. Is anybody arguing like. That Klingon is actually better than Sunogo? I no. don't think so. You're weird if you are. I don't know. that. Like that's frustrating. Like if I was a UConn fan. That'd be incredibly frustrating to me. Because Klingon just should never ever ever. Play more minutes than Sunogo. I don't care how good he's playing.
1: And especially in a game where you're trying to stem the tide. Which was the entire second half right? right. Of trying to. Get back within a couple possessions, trying to not let it get into double digits. Trying to put a run together to retake the lead after Marquette had come out. You know, Marquette won that second half. I think you said it was by ten. That was when the game changed. You're trying to do something that, yeah, you're trying to do something different because what was, you know, the the attempt that was made was not working, and so it's the whole Dan Hurley personality thing is very interesting to me in the way it goes with this team and the expectations and the way this season started. We don't need to get into that now, but yeah, they're, and again, they're probably going to roll off, you know, five, six, seven straight wins at some point here. Cause they're going to stop playing all the best teams in the conference, mm. but there are some clear flaws and questions that need to be asked right now that nobody was really contemplating being a possibility a month ago.
0: Yeah like in and, and and figuring it out should never involve you taking your best player off the floor. If that's the best you can come up with, you need to go back to the drawing board. If taking out your best player is the best you can come up with to remedy issues. That,
1: but that, at would, the end of, that would be But a at concern. the end of the day.
0: <laughs> but at the end of the day. And like I'm also like I would I wish that like it, it just doesn't seem like they're ever going to share the floor this year, which is fine. Like I get why Donovan Klingon and Adama are never going to share the floor this year. But like, like maybe when you're like up by seven in the first, you know, before the under six timeout. I mean, sorry, the under twelve timeout against Georgetown at home. Wait, that already happened. They weren't. <laughs> Never mind. Um, when DePaul comes to town, when you're just like already up by eighteen with two minutes to go in the se- eighteen minutes left to go in the second half, and like you've been controlling the game, just like throw them in there for four minutes, just see what happens. Maybe you will stumble upon something that is just like maybe not great in long stretches, but like for three and a half minutes, the the defense is like, what in the world do we do with these two guys?
1: And then by the time they come up with an answer, they're out. (laughs) Right.
0: It doesn't have to be for a long time because ultimately Dan Hurley is correct in thinking that that's probably not the best idea for his basketball team for long stretches. But sometimes just overwhelming size just makes you think about so many other things. Or, or you're not thinking about anything else just because of how big those two guys are on the floor together. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Um, but the guards do need to be better. Of course, that's right. That's my philosophy. I'm going to go look to how your guard play is first when it comes to the NCAA tournament, when it comes to me identifying the ceiling of your team, um, all of those things. And they're just, they're just all three of those guards, the nature of their games is that they're just sometimes going to have nights where they can't hit the broad side of a barn. And like, especially Jordan Hawkins, who you fancy is the best score on your basketball team. And he hasn't been great in conference play at all. Um, yeah. It's crazy how fast your ceiling comes down when you're, when your guards aren't playing well. And some of them played fine. I mean, um, Jackson, I mean, he, stuff the stat sheet nine, six and four
1: as he always does. Right. That block
0: and a steal and four of seven from the field. I mean, he was right. fine to feel, I feel a little guilty roping him into this, but like the point is still the same,
1: Right, you need somebody to go be that. And he, he's not supposed to be that guy. He's supposed to sure. do exactly what he did, right? He's your defender, your energizer, your secondary facilitator, all that stuff. He's mm-hmm. not supposed to be the scorer, right. but when Newton and Hawkins are struggling that much, somebody else needs to score. And he's kind of the next guy up. And he just hasn't looked confident taking that responsibility when he's needed to.
0: Last thing on this game, I like I adore Tyler Kolek. <laughs> adore. Like six, eight, and five. He had five turnovers in this game, but like six, eight, and five, three of six shooting. And I, I get that he has the luxury of being able to play like this because of the, you know, three of the five guys in the starting lineup are just bucket getters. Um I wrote in a in a in a big East round table for 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 busting brackets about how like few how few points that starting 5 had combined before the season like at average last year and now they had three guys averaging like 14 15 points a game and like part of that is because Tyler Colec makes life so easy for that offense and any person any guy who is You know, pushing a one to one ratio with his points and assists in college (laughs) basketball is just, is just my dude. I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, against UConn, it was six points, eight assists. Against Georgetown, it was seven points, 15 assists. Um, St. John's, he really was a bucket getter, 14 points and eight assists. Oh, and then by the by, sometimes he's just going to knock down like it, on like on a good night. He's just going to go 11 of 15 from the field because Providence didn't know how to guard a pick and roll and he'll have 29.
1: Yeah. And he, but, uh, he's a four. I mean, I think he's close to a 40 percent three point shooter, at least was last season. Um, there.
0: He is a 34 percent three point shooter. this year.
1: OK, so maybe I'm stretching a little bit. Or maybe that was last season, but he's a good shooter. That was kind of the first thing that stood out to me about him. And now he's turned into, yeah, this mega facilitator. And the other thing I want to throw out there about Marquette before we move on is exactly like you said, one of the most amazing things about this is it's not like they've really upgraded their roster. If anything, technically it downgraded because you lost Justin Lewis, right? This is all internal improvement from the same group of guys who were there last season. It's not like anybody came in and changed the complexion of this team. They just all got a lot better and have figured out how to play really well together. And Cam Jones has become one of the better players in the Big East, right? And all the it, it's just good coaching, guys who now are really comfortable with each other, who know everybody's strengths and weaknesses. It's the epitome of what college basketball sort of used to be, but you don't see it anymore. And here's Marquette showing it still works. Good for them, good for Shaka, good for Tyler Kolick.
0: Do you know who the other two guys and that are ahead of him and assist per game are?
1: Is Marquise Noel one of them?
0: That's correct. Marquise Noel is averaging 8.8 assists per game.
1: Do Harris? want
0: No. I the didn't. other guy is a guy who's... So so. Marquise Noel is second with 140 assists this year. This guy has 173 assists this year. Oh. Um,
1: oh. Yuri Collins.
0: That's correct. Yeah. Gary Collins is averaging 10.8 <laughs> assists per game. I love that. Inject that. Inject all of it into my veins. Absolutely. Anyways, um, I'm all here. If you're if you're looking for a, a president of your fan club, and you're a pass first point guard that actually passes first, <laughs> and not just in theory as a pass for, for first point guard, but you average three and a half assists per game, which is like solid. That's like a solid college basketball assist number. But like, also get out of here with this. Like, yeah, I take nine. I take you know twelve shots a game, but I'm a pass first point guard with three and a half assists. Okay. All right, homie. You can keep telling yourself that. Um, I don't know who I'm ricochet shotting there, but there's somebody out there that I'm ricochet shotting <laughs> that's looking at themselves in the mirror. It's like, huh, maybe I'm not. Anyways, uh, moving through the big east, Xavier, 90, Creighton, 87. Just pumping out the really good basketball games here. Um, Baylor Shireman was spectacular. Probably his best game as a as a Blue Jay, certainly from an efficiency perspective. 25, 5, and 4. 10 of 18 from the field, four of seven from the three point line and the starting lineup followed in suit. Uh, Arthur Kaluma, five of nine from the field, Ryan Kalkbrenner, five of eight from the field, eight rebounds, uh, three steals and two blocks to his name as well. Along with those 15 points, Ryan Nemhard, not quite as efficient, but 17, seven and five only turned it over two times was six of 17 from the floor. Trey Alexander, five of eight, got to the free throw line a bunch. 16 points for him. And then they got basically nothing off the bench, but that's okay. They played like a combined, um, you know, Francisco for was the only guy to actually play real college basketball minutes. And he played 12 minutes and had three points on the other end. Sully boom, like is Sully boom, the best transfer, like in the country. He's certainly up there.
1: And in terms of sort of overachieving transfer, he's got to top the list, right?
0: he, you know, he came in and like, I didn't know a ton about Sully boom. Like I'm sure most people didn't know a ton about Sully boom. Um, but he comes in as a transfer and he got off to a really good start. Like there were times that I was like, man, Sully boom, like he's doing the thing at Xavier right now. And was just kind of curious. Cause like there wasn't a ton of talk about Xavier and, um, you know, I think, you know, they've won like 11 straight or something like that. So at one point, you know, they didn't get off to a great start, at least that I'm remembering. But it was also they lost to Duke Gonzaga, and Zaga and Indiana in a four-game stretch. So it's not like they lost anybody poor. They haven't lost in a while. He had 26 last night. 26 and 8 to 0 turnovers. That's impressive. Um, 9 of 18 from the field. Flanking him is Caleb Jones, who also had... A, oh, sorry, excuse me, not Caleb. Colby Jones. Um, 20 points, three assists, four rebounds for him. Jack Nungy had a solid game. And a slower one for Zach Fremantle, at least in the scoring department. But um, what say you about a another good Big East game, three-point win for the Musketeers?
1: Yeah. This is the problem when Creighton has the losing streak Creighton had and Ryan Kulkbrunner gets hurt is... Now you've got this stretch (laughs) and there's just nothing concerning about this game whatsoever, but it's a problem because of that just the sheer win loss record of Creighton and the fact that they need to not just be fine in conference play. They need to be good. We talked about that from the beginning, right? That you're putting yourself in a bad spot if you're just floating around 500 in conference play. And so there's no reason in the world they should expect to win this game. I'm getting to the point where I just don't think, you know, we talked early about this idea that Indiana might just not lose at home this season. That obviously was wrong. LOL. <laughs> Xavier might be that team though, that you're just not beating, but the Sintas center with the fact that this is going so well with Sean Miller's reunion and this team is playing so well, that fan base, that environment, right. They got all the pieces. They're going to be incredibly difficult to beat in that building. So I, it was a good sign that Creighton scored that many points. Now, obviously you got better defensively, But to me, the bigger takeaway here is, yeah, when the guards are that good for Xavier and they're shooting the three ball that well, you're not beating them, especially in that building. It's just not happening. And so to me, this is much more interesting on the Xavier aspect of I'm still not worried about Creighton. I'm still going to buy all the Creighton stock heading into the NCAA tournament when they're going to be a not great seed if they keep this up, but And the other thing, too, is, you know, the two teams that got off to the bad start in conference play of the teams that we expected to be near the top of the conference or sort of put themselves there as the season has gone on, Creighton and UConn, right? And then what happened? UConn and Creighton got beat on the same night by Xavier and Marquette. We're getting to the point where those two teams are running out of time in this conference title race Mm. because... The Marquette's, Providences, and Saviors of the world—at least one of them just aren't going to lose enough games the rest of the way to allow you to get back in.
0: Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say, and you didn't even mention the other team that's still undefeated in conference play because they didn't play last night. At least I don't think they did. If they did, I mean, but but Providence, right? So there's another team there that it's not like if you know you need three teams. Or like we're to the point where Creighton and UConn, like their chances of winning this conference are gone. Seems that way, at least, right? I mean, even like you know, even if UConn wins eleven of their remaining thirteen games, that's still five losses, which is what they're projected to do. By the way, oh, I, three think teams,
1: somebody, oh, three I think somebody, I think somebody's sharing
0: the the biggest, just from a Ken yeah. uh, prediction perspective, is is what's pro- the projection. But
1: at fifteen and 5? Hmm? Oh, I think somebody's going to get in there with four or fewer losses. I agree. That was my point. Is yeah, that yeah. Do you, we really
0: think that all three of those teams, you know, maybe Marquette ends up, I mean, Marquette losing three more times, four more times with the one loss. But like, do we really think both Xavier and Providence are going to lose four more times? Like, both of them, they're going to have a combined eight losses from here on out. I certainly don't. Maybe.
1: Maybe it's to four, but that's, I mean, that's the problem, right? It's, it's, right. Hard, it's really hard to see it getting to five. Right. I think somebody's going to win it at 16 and four. That would be my guess, which unless you pull off something incredible the rest of the season, basically eliminates Creighton and UConn. Yeah, exactly All like right. you
0: said. Mm-hmm. Um, Sidetrack. Side note. Sidetrack. Um, why is Xavier's SB Nation page banners on the parkway? Do you know? No. Neither do I. <laughs> I'm sure it has something to do with like – like a road that runs right past Xavier. Like, I don't understand. But like, are there lots of banners at Xavier? Like in general, they win a lot of ch- a lot of chips. Um, that's a very serious question. I know, coming from a Butler guy, it sounds very cynical. <laughs> but um, I like most of the time, I have like an idea of where that SB Nation, mm-hmm. you know, pay, you know, pay you know, website name came from. Yeah, that one, I have
1: absolutely no. Clue. I'm not going to pretend like I'm. Steeped in Xavier history, so. Um, The only,
0: the the other thing I want to bring up, and just just because it's one of those things I like to bring up, um, Xavier's 311th in the country in bench minutes. And in this game, a game that was played at a really high level, and I mean, and Creighton was kind of in the same boat here, so it's not like it was, wait, no, 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 no. Am I looking at the wrong page here? Scratch that. J-K-L-O-L. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong page. The other thing, Creighton is 343rd in bench minutes. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, that would be helpful Mm -hmm. if they had just anybody coming off the bench and contributing at a high level.
1: And helps explain why it was so bad without Ryan Kochbender.
0: Right. 'Cause Xavier played seven guys. Xavier is three hundred and eleventh in bench minutes, but Xavier's guys the two of them combined, them being Jerome Hunter and Desmond Cloud. Claude, Cloud, Claude, Claude. It's gotta be Claude, right?
1: I would think Claude, yeah.
0: Right. If it's Cloud and you spelled it Claude, I'm, I'm just upset <laughs> with you. Um they had seventeen on seven of twelve shooting and played forty four minutes combined. Like you, Hunter- you only need you only need seven players if your two guys off the bench are going to do that.
1: Jerome Hunter has uh, been really good this season in his role.
0: Yeah. So, and, and that was kind of the difference, you know, Xavier, you have tight rotation in a high level game and Creighton's rotation was really tight for different reasons. Right. Um, is just not, they just don't have a ton of guys to turn to off the bench. Um, it seems like I'm talking about that with every single t- every single good <laughs> basketball team and maybe that's always the case. and I'm just kind of on it this year but I just and it was part of the reason why I was such a big UConn guy and still mm-hmm. am
1: because
0: mm-hmm. their benches. I mean at one point they were their bench was averaging like 30 points a game. Oh
1: yeah Klingon, Nehemolene. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Calcaterra.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But Anyhow. they got eight guys I trust
0: Unfortunately, three of those guys just somehow sometimes can't hit the broad side of a barn. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Alrighty, ninety eighty seven Xavier moves to six and zero in the Big East. Providence six and zero. Marquette six and one. Our beloved Butler Bulldogs are two and five in conference. It makes me sad. Shouts to the dogs, but the dogs are horrendous. <laughs> And that makes me very sad. Listen, if your if your game if your team is on a losing streak, just schedule an, an a la carte game with with <laughs> Butler because you'll beat them by sixteen. Just out of St. John's, five straight losses. Just handle them from from tip to, from tip to buzzer. I'm upset. Anyways, um, the Big East top of the Big East is very good, very very good. I mean, like, and UConn and Creighton are still very very good basketball teams uh, in the conversation of. The rest of the country maybe their biggest title chances at least in the regular season have have come by the wayside but still two two good basketball teams and those five teams at the top of the conference it dips off pretty fast um i mean and, and creighton's record doesn't play the part the way that those top four teams do but i also i don't think anybody's arguing that those that creighton is way close to the level of those four teams than the level of seton hall Good top of the conference. They deliver with good basketball games. It seems every single night, big 12, Texas, 79, 75. They were down 13 at halftime in this game and won the second half 50 to 33. I think at one point miles, uh, sorry, Mike miles, miles, Mike, man, it's, it's speaking is really hard. This is, this is difficult. Um, Mike Miles, 16.6 of 11, but he went like like 15 minutes of game time at one point. I maybe mean, it was longer than that. Like like at one point, he he got a layup with like seven minutes left or so maybe. Maybe it was a little more than that. But it, and it said it was his first field goal since like 10.41 in the first half. So he like yeah. went a stretch and he hit some really like tough jumpers coming down the stretch. Yeah. Like some tall, like some, like some tall ones <laughs> and, and um. But but for chunks of this game, was kept kind of at bay. Um, it had some, Miller foul, was, had some
1: foul trouble in there, too, which mm-hmm. there was no reason to push it because they were just fine in the first half without him on the floor. So, exactly. yeah, it was kind of this weird... It all fell apart, and he hadn't played that much because of the foul trouble. And so, there was, yeah, this big stretch where he was a non-factor.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Emmanuel Miller was a factor. Oh, yeah. 21 points on 10 of 12 shooting, um, 4 rebounds. On the Texas side of things look at look at the like we've been waiting for decades feels like for like you know and, and i don't actually mean like this this is the coming of the transfers but like this is i mean in this game dylan desu 14 points on seven of seven from the field um temmy allen 17 points on 8 of 13 from the field um, marcus carr wasn't great in this game from a efficiency standpoint it took him 16 shots to get up to 11 points um but hit some big shots down the stretch um, hit his only three of the game, took it like he, if you hadn't been watching this basketball game, he took that three, like he was 14, to 14 from the three point line. Yep. He was over six. Um, <laughs> which is the beauty of the confidence that, that Marcus Carr has. Um, but he did have seven assists, just one turnover stick, taking care of the basketball, distributing it. Um, Tyrese Hunter doing just the same. The two of them were, had a, a 13 to two assist to turnover ratio, which is i I've heard is pretty good. Um, And then some bench production as well. What say you about a, again, a really high, like in this game was super fun down the stretch, just in general, there Mm -hmm. was um, elite at halftime, right? At at halftime, it felt like this game was like, oh man, this game's kind of a dud. Um, And it didn't turn out that way at all. There were lots of really fun things happening on the floor. It was just a high level college basketball game. Uh, What say you about a four point win for the Texas Longhorns? moving to 14 and two on the season and quietly like just kind of keeping on rolling like because of the nature of what's going on at their program right now and what has gone on at their program, I suppose the book is kind of closed on it. I mean, there will be aftermath and reports about what's going on, but Chris Beard is no longer associated with the university. So hopefully we just kind of move in the direction of, you know, it we're just talking Texas basketball again, um, just kind of rolling right along, right? Um, they the, the Kansas State loss that we talked about, but also Kansas State scored 116 points. Like it's you know he scored 103 and lost a college basketball game in <laughs> regulation. Like that's an impressive feat. Um, um, the point just being is that they just moved right along. They haven't had like that. Oh my gosh, they lost to them, and you kind of felt like it was the trickle down effect of what's going on in their program. They continue to roll along. Good win for them over TCU. What say you?
1: Yeah, well, at halftime, I was really starting to wonder if Texas could defend people at home. (laughs) Because, you know, in between this game and the Kansas State game, very good defensive performance on the road. And then they showed back up at the Moody Center and the turnovers were getting TCU out in transition, which is the last thing you want against that TCU team. And then, you know, it just kind of snowballs. TCU is feeling confident on offense And it looked like they were going to run him out of the building. And I was preparing to come in and talk about how many points Texas had given up in their last two games at home. And then they pulled it together defensively after halftime and put the clamps down and looked like one of the best defensive teams in the country again. And all of a sudden... They were able to turn this thing around, get back into the game. You mentioned Dylan DeSue, Serge Barry Rice also just didn't miss free throws. He came up, it seemed like he came up with every important rebound in the last couple minutes and just continued to hit free throws. I think he might have missed one that really didn't matter at the very end, if I remember correctly, but they got contributions all over the place. You mentioned Timmy Allen, the guards did their thing. It's the beauty of being so multidimensional if you're Texas, and what's so appealing about this team is what you saw in this game, right? They can survive not great defensive performances because they can score ninety points, and they don't need to score ninety points to beat you because some days they look like the best defensive team in the country. They can do both and often find a way to put it together. Haven't that hasn't? It's been more one of the or the other during Big Twelve play so far, which is partially because of the level of competition they're facing. But they do have you know, this incredibly high ceiling on both ends of the floor that most teams don't offer you. And that's what really intrigues me about them As is it does look like they've figured things out offensively, that this is way I – and mean, we talked about this from the beginning. This is not last year's Texas team on offense. They are way more comfortable, way more confident, way more dynamic. And generally speaking, the defense has been there too. So you have a bad defensive half, but you, you fix what you need to fix just – stop TCU's offense essentially in the second half, stop turning the ball over, and are able to to come back and win. Yeah, they're really, really good. And it's unfortunate for this group of players and the coaches who are still remaining that for obvious reasons, some of the attention has gotten taken away from what they're doing on the floor because Mm -hmm. they have been every bit as good as advertised. And I would have been coming with a very different tone had they not come back and won this game. But seeing what they did in the second half very much led me to believe it was just a bad half. It happens. This is not some trend coming off the Kansas state game where they just can't defend people anymore.
0: It's also TCU. <clears throat> I mean, like, I mean, you're like president of the TCU fan club oh, yeah. this year. So, I mean, would it be belittling TCU a little <laughs> bit if you came in here and was like, what's wrong with Texas?
1: Well, there's a different, there's a difference be- between, I mean, Part of it was that Texas was making TCU's life easy. I mean, right. I, I could have spun it True. that way. You can't give mm. TCU those kind so, of opportunities.
0: So, so what <laughs> – okay, all right, I'm in. So, so what happens okay, – like what happens when you're not supposed to mess with Texas when both teams are from Texas?
1: Now we're getting to the real questions. Mm.
0: I Like I like that's a that, – like hard hitters <laughs> right now. I'm like
1: I feel like we need a Texan to answer that question.
0: Yeah. It's like a radio show. Alright, call in. If you're from Texas, it's my favorite. You know, when there are a couple of shows at the station that they they're like syndicated shows. Mm-hmm. And and one of them specifically is is the midday show on on WIBC, the news talk station here in Indianapolis. And like apparently truckers just love Tony Katz today like this three it's a three hour show from 12 to three and apparently truckers love it (laughs) and at one point when I was filling in as the producer they they were the the conversation I think it might have been the like during when like truckers were being like were protesting at the Canadian border oh yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's when it was but it was like a, you know, you know, and most of the time when it's like, hey, give us a call, join the conversation, like the phone lines are radio silent. But then we were talking truckers and then or they were talking truckers. I was not talking truckers. I was pressing the buttons. Um, they were talking truckers and they were like, give us a call if you're a trucker. And the phone lines lit up for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> Anyways. So if all the Texas people listening to this pre-recorded podcast right now, give us a call. <laughs> tell us how you mess with texas and not mess with texas at the same time
1: it's it's one of those you know why do we park in a driveway kind of things mm. okay how, how can you mess with texas if everybody is from texas that's that is all i'm wanting to know on the jays for days podcast on a
0: <laughs> thursday afternoon in, in the middle of january and not only um, are
1: both teams from texas both teams have texas in their name
0: yes <laughs> it's not like you can you can you know, trick people with like some Southern Methodist university stuff. Like, no, <laughs> we're talking about the Christian university in Texas and, 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 in Texas, like, like don't mess with Austin, Texas, Texas. You can't get more Texas than that. Right. Side note, before we get off of this game, um, the, the shoes that both sidelines were wearing absolute fire. Just like these, these Texas branded air force ones, and then just Panda dunks on the other end. Anyways, um, the, 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 the coordinated feet heat from the coaches and assistants I'm here for, I'm all here for anyways, Texas, 79, 75 winners in the big 12, 14 and two. They're rolling right along despite what's happened off the floor in that program over the last month, month, couple months, six weeks or so. So good for good for them. righty, Last game that we needed to chat about here, Alabama, 84, Arkansas, 69, Nate Oates is doing the dang thing at Alabama just over and over and over again. Um, talk about transfers, Mark Sears, twenty-six points, seven of 16, went to the free throw line 10 times, made all 10 of them. Um, he's the only one you can speak for when talking about efficient from the free throw line. There were still 69 of, from the line as a team, and they had a guy go 10 of 10 and another guy go 6 of 7, and somehow they were still 69% from the free throw line. Um, Didn't seem to matter all that much. Um, Brandon Miller had 14. um, Noah Clowney, 15 on 5 of 6 shooting for him. On the other side of things, It would have been really nice if if Nick Smith Jr could play in this could play in this basketball game. Um three guys did most of the scoring, but like it wasn't exactly efficient. Uh, Devontae Davis 16 took him 17 shots to get there. Um petition to call Ricky Council the fourth RC4 on this podcast. Oh, I Kong, like Kong. it. Thank you. RC4 15 on 4 of 10 shooting. Makai um, Mitchell did have 10 on three of five shooting, but um, ultimately the Razorbacks just two of 10 from the three point line. They were even worse from the free throw line. Um, worse than Alabama, not worse than their two of 10 from the three point line, <laughs> just to be clear. They were 15 of 23, uh, shot just 42% from the field, lose by 15 to at this point an Alabama team that is just better than they are, but um, still losing by 15 at home. Is something that I didn't think we were going to say very many times in the Arkansas season. And maybe even slightly more concerning is that when I saw the outcome of this game, I'm not totally sure I was all that surprised. Which is even which is even the more surprising thing to say. What say you?
1: To give credit to Arkansas, I mean they did. It looked like it was going to get out of hand. They climbed back in,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: then were eventually buried under another flurry of threes from Alabama that re extended the lead and kind of put the game out of reach. But they mm. did they did get themselves back into it where it wasn't it was closer than that final score suggests, I would argue. But at the same time, they had one good stretch and were thoroughly outplayed the rest of the game. Yeah, Mark Sears was great. When Alabama's hitting threes like that, good luck trying to beat them. I don't care where you're playing. Dang the Arkansas positive out of this for me is you did see some contributions in the front court in terms of trying to fill this void left by Nick Smith and Trevon Brazil, you know, the Mitchells, Jalen Graham, there was something there. Eric Musselman's kind of trying to figure out how to reorganize this thing. It's, it's not enough. And it's certainly not enough when Anthony black gets in foul trouble, you got him on the bench and Nick Smith unavailable and Trevin Brazil out for the season. I mean, there's a lot that has to happen for Arkansas to beat the best teams in the sec right now. It's just the reality of the situation with the roster that's there. And Anthony black needs to be probably the best player on the floor. That's part of that formula. And you get him in foul trouble. He doesn't, it it doesn't matter whether he's playing well or not. If he's on the bench, you're, you're kind of done for when, when Alabama is playing this well. So, some positives to take away. They they did put up a good fight, got back into the game at one point. You saw multiple players contributing in the front court. But, yeah, they're just not on Alabama's level right now.
0: With, let's see, how deep can we go before this starts to kind of get out of hand? With, with 13... 13- with 13 minutes left on the clock, this game was 49 to 48. 33, 33 at halftime, and then you get to nine minutes left, and it's 62 to 50. Um, and then they get back into it. At one point, the, the score is you know 65 to 61 with 651 left. 65, 63 with four minutes left. How did they lose this basketball game by 15? Right. When it was sixty five to sixty-three with four forty five Alabama took a timeout with four forty five left and it was a two point game. And then they lost by fifteen. Flurry of threes. Flurry of threes. The ultimate equalizer or the unequalizer in this case, but the equalizer nonetheless. <laughs> um how, how much faith you got in Alabama at this point? Certainly
1: more than years past.
0: Why? I think I agree with you. I'm just curious. All
1: right. They do seem to be better shooting the ball. That helps. (laughs) Especially (laughs) after last season where they were just bad shooting the ball and didn't care. This team can actually hit threes. You know, bringing in Mm -hmm. Mark Sears helps with that. Obviously, Brandon Miller helps with that. And Mm -hmm. also just the existence of Brandon Miller.
0: Mm. That's a game changer level player.
1: Yeah. They've never had a guy like that. I mean, they've had some awful, you know, all SEC caliber players, some awfully good players
0: and they've all, but they've always been guards. Mm-hmm. I think that's important too.
1: Yes. Right. He's just he's different. Yeah. <laughs> I say that um, phrase a lot, but so that is and, you know, they they've got some versatility defensively. They're not overly reliant on one player. He doesn't have to be great for them to win. See this game, Mark, mm-hmm. you know, Mark Sears can carry the load offensively. I still have questions about whether this formula can win you a national championship and whether it's completely sustainable game to game, because there's going to be some times where you're going to have, I mean, they're just, they're going to have some bad losses,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but those losses this season are more than canceled out by the amount of wins they're picking up. Obviously, And their ability to play with the best teams in the country consistently, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to have a couple stinkers because they're so reliant on the three, but they don't need to have everything go right. They don't need to be great to beat a really good Arkansas team here, you know, and obviously an Arkansas team that's shorthanded, but they were just a better basketball team. You know, that's what's making me confident is I don't think they're as, reliant on the three from a game to game standpoint that I trust them more. I feel like I'm you know, they're especially last season, it's just I don't know what happens when they take the floor.
0: <laughs> mm.
1: Could they win? Sure. They could be anybody in the country if they hit their threes. They could also lose to anybody. I feel like they have limit they have raised their And they floor. did both
0: of those things. <laughs>
1: yes. They did both they of they did those both things. those things a lot last season. Yes, I did. think they have raised their floor significantly. I guess that's how I answer the question. I don't worry as much about everything going wrong. You just accept they're going to take a couple losses. They probably shouldn't because of the threes, but they're very much living in the good to great performance category, which was not the case last season.
0: You know, we're on it's January 12th and they've lost one game where like their offense really failed them. Right. Right. I mean that Yukon game, they lost 82 to 67. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. I also think that was a different Alabama team. Just fundamentally, um, they're just better than they were at that point. But I mean, they lost to Gonzaga by ten, but they scored ninety. Right? I mean, it was. I mean, Gonzaga just had it that day, mm-hmm. and still, even with this Gonzaga team, when Gonzaga has it, you're not going to yep. beat them. Uh, it just doesn't matter how good you play. I.e., you scored ninety points in a men's college basketball game in regulation. Right? I mean. Mm-hmm. You're gonna win that game 95% of the time, except for when Gonzaga yep. has it going. Um, your your feelings about their three-point shooting are correct. They're two hundred and five spots better in three-point <laughs> shooting right now than they were at the end of last season. There you go. Um, they finished three hundred and third in the country in three-point shooting last year, a nineteen and fourteen year. I don't remember that year being that bad. Like in my head, like if you asked me to guess what their final what their record was, I would have been way closer to like 23 and 10 than 19 yeah. and 14. Yeah. They did lose their only sec game and then lost their tournament game. Okay. So they finished the season 19 and 12, which is a little closer, yeah. but then lost to, but then had two stinker of a loss, two stinker losses to end the season. They Lost to Vanderbilt in the sec tournament and then lost to Notre Dame in the first round mm-hmm. of the tournament, um, as a six seed, by the way. Um, but, uh, sorry, uh, Three point shooting, they're ninety eighth in the country this year, thirty five percent. And when they do all the things that they do, ninety eight percent, ninety eighth in the country is more than functional. That's above average by definition. Um, last year they were three hundred and third shooting thirty point nine percent as a team. This year it's ninety eighth shooting thirty five point four percent. That's that's the
1: difference between fine Alabama and really good Alabama. Hundred percent, mostly right. It'll probably cost them a game or two because. They're still not a great three-point shooting team, but this is much more similar to the teams Nate Oates has had in the past where you're really scared of them, and they're one of the best teams in the country. Obviously, that's what they've been doing so far this season. They fixed the biggest issue from last season. So they're right back to being where you expect this Alabama program to be at this point. And Brandon Miller, then, is the cherry on top that makes you a top-five team in the country. For sure. Um, The last
0: thing I'll say... And this has doesn't have a ton to do with this game specifically. Um, I'm I'm just fascinated by Javon Quinterly's college basketball career, just in general. Right? You start at you start at Villanova, and things don't go the way. I saw a TikTok. Can we talk about this for a second? I saw a TikTok the other day. It was like, "Where is Javon Quinterly now?" It's like Javon Quinterly's a backup <laughs> guard on the, one of the best teams in the country. Like, what are we doing here? Um, find better content. Um, but he was just like, like the guy in the TikTok was like, he he was one of the best guards in the country coming out of high school. And then at Villanova, the coach at Villanova didn't say Jay Wright. He just said, and then the coach at Villanova just didn't play him in his year at Villanova. And I was like, like if you're going to do this, at least like, like Quintinley was bad.
1: Yeah. I, as a
0: freshman at Villanova, go that's why he, That's why he didn't play. He was
1: bad. I'm gonna go to bat for Jay Wright on that one and say I saw Jay Wright at least trying a little bit to make that work. Yeah,
0: (laughs) he was bad. That's why he didn't play. Anyways, um, but the point being is that he, you know, he started his career at Villanova. 25 games he played in that year. Nine minutes a game. 3.2 points. 33% shooting. Then he goes to Alabama and starts and plays in 30 games, starts seven of them, finishes the year with 13 points, three assists, pretty good year, um, shoots 43% from the three-point line, like, good year. Um, last year, starts 27 of the 33 games that Alabama plays, 14 points a game, 4.2 assists, three rebounds, um, had a really bad three-point shooting year, just 28%. And now he's just a reserve again. And, you know, he played 11 minutes in this last game. He plays, he averages 17 minutes per game, seven points, 3.4 assists. Just like, like if you told me, and it seems to, from what I've like seen and like the people who cover this program, that like he seems to have just kind of situated himself into this role. And while I'm sure he would love to be the starting point guard, like anybody, any bench guy who says, ah, I just like being on the bench, you're a liar. But um, the point being is that after the way like the rocky start he got off to and then how important he was really quickly at Alabama for him to kind of weave his way back into just like a really solid contributor off the bench, which there aren't a ton of those in college basketball Mm -hmm. this year. Just Just, a really solid contributor on a really good team.
1: And especially Uh, guys, you feel confident about running your offense.
0: Right. 100%. I mean, like. You could have you could have your two starting guards in foul trouble. Oh, Quinterly has to run the offense for 15 minutes in the second half. Perfect, let's do it. Right. Um, so, like what, him coming into college, the fact that he's still here four years later is a surprising in and of itself. But you know, it's it's been a winding road. I'm sure it hasn't been easy. But like he's on a team that like has a chance to go really deep in March and for him to kind of situate himself into a spot that if you asked me four years ago, if he was capable of that, just as a, you know, from a maturity standpoint and from a willingness to do that standpoint, um, I would not have, I would have been surprised by that, but alas, here he is being an important part of this basketball team. That is just a a veteran bench guy that, that gives them good seven, 17 good minutes per game.
1: And don't forget about the torn ACL too.
0: Right. And the torn ACL, right. Right, That's, I mean,
1: He kind of just got the unfortunate situation where he wasn't ready to go at the beginning of the season. And by the time Mm -hmm. he was working his way back and getting closer to 100 percent, which I'm not. He's probably still not even at 100 percent, but obviously, you know, he's much closer to being at full whatever full strength is going to be at this point for him. Mm -hmm. It was kind of too late. You're just not getting, you know, you're not getting that spot back. It's working too well. And right. so he kind of just had to slot into, right, this role he's found now where he's still an important member of this team and still playing well. Yeah, just about everything from the, the transfers, the injury, right, when he was kind of at the peak of his college career, if you will, from a personal standpoint. Mm-hmm. And yeah, here he is. And he could very well end up with, some, with something to show out of this from a, a silverware, hardware perspective, a hardware the sensor, way they're going.
0: Yeah. yeah. I just what like, and I feel like that was part of what was going on at Villanova that he just kind of checked out by the time that season was over. Um. So that's just, I mean, to be locked in in a different way is just cool. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, anything else in this game?
1: No, nothing else from this game. I got one question I want to throw at you.
0: Hit me. Since I got, talked- I, I, I'm out of stuff, so hit me.
1: Since we talked about since we talked about these two teams, you know which team <laughs> has beaten both Xavier and Alabama this season. <laughs> and it's funny because you specifically mentioned both of these games in this podcast. Did <laughs> I really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure.
0: <laughs> um. Well, Alabama's only lost to. Alabama's only lost to Gonzaga and Yukon, but Yukon didn't beat Xavier, so it has to be Gonzaga.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Look at that. Look at that right? reasoning there.
1: How I believe that? that game was in Tuscaloosa, right? The 100 to 90. It was semi home. So
0: I think it was like in Birmingham. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Pretty sure it was yeah. in Birmingham. I was thinking yeah, it, was road at, for, so, it was at Legacy Arena in, yes, in Birmingham. Yes.
1: So, Road for Gonzaga's purposes. Yeah. So just very quietly, now that they've, you know, hidden themselves away in the WCC, those two, <laughs> Listen, We're going to look up by the end of this thing. They're going to have a really good record. Drew Timmy's going to have a lot of numbers, and all of a sudden, their resumes going to look pretty good because of those two games. <laughs> Even though they've lost a lot of the other ones they played in non-conference.
0: If it weren't for the Baylor loss, it'd be like, I mean, they lost to Baylor, and Baylor's just not great. Mm-mm. Like the, like the further we get removed from that game, the worse that win gets, yeah, that we yeah. lost gets. Yeah. Especially in sixty four sixty three. Like what in the world are we doing in one of the Dakotas kind of basketball game? Like what building is this? Like, it's just a weird night. Oh, by the way, it's on what wait, it was a prime. Peacock. No, it was Peacock. It was the yeah. cock. That was such a weird what That is so, that is the weirdest college basketball game of the year. 1000%. Sure. Oh, it's not close. Um, among all the other things that like, they just kind of stumbled and struggled to a 64, 63 final score. I apologize for the ricochet shots at the Dakotas, <laughs> but come on. Um,
1: why That's is that this game not i South Dakota.
0: I'm sure they are, but like play your basketball games in Chicago. Okay. <laughs> like, like let's just come on. Um, but apart from that, I mean, the other two losses are Texas and Purdue. You mm-hmm. know what I mean, like, and they were ugly. Both of them were, um, the Texas game, they got run out of the building yep. almost immediately. And the Purdue game, you know, they just ran into the buzzsaw at the PK 85. That was, that was Purdue. But other than that, I mean, they haven't lost since December 2nd. Uh, the, the, the Baylor game was their last loss. They have that Alabama win. You know, one of their tougher games of the season is actually tonight against BYU on the road. Um, They're actually, you know, they'll play St. Mary's on the road. They're actually predicted to lose that game. St. Mary's, ninth at Kimpong. Can we talk about that for a second? But, but yeah. Watch, this will be the year. Everybody will have hopped (laughs) off the wagon, and they'll win it this year. And I'll be kicking myself because I hopped off the wagon.
1: They will reemerge out of WCC play with the guard issues fixed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, like, some of the guard issues are like are like have really like worked themselves out. Like Nolan mm-hmm. Hickman had twenty twenty points on nine on eight of nine shooting in their most recent win over Santa Clara. See, there you go. Now, granted, I'm a little concerned that they needed all of that to beat Santa Clara on the road, and they also needed everything to beat San Francisco on the road the game prior. So, like, clearly not as bulletproof as of a Gonzaga team as we've been used to the last few years, but still it'll be the year they'll just they'll just turn around it's like oh my gosh nolan hickman all-american level you know right oh right drew timmy preseason national player of the year here comes julian Um,
1: strother right julian strother
0: there he is right malachi smith averaging 13 off the bench and then all of a sudden it's like oh my lord i don't want to play gonzaga in the elite 8
1: that'll be how it
0: goes anyways um i'm out of stuff you got anything else no Um, I suppose the last thing we can do real quick is the basketball games on the schedule that could pique your interest in the next four days or so tonight you get Gonzaga at BYU. That's a, that's an intriguing one. It's the only top 25 matchup with a line that's less than, you know, a spread that's less than 12. So um, that's basically all we're looking at on Thursday. Um, Purdue playing a big 10 Friday night basketball game at home against Nebraska. Nebraska team, that's not great, but they did struggle with them in Lincoln, so there's that. Um, Saturday, of course, delivering per, per usual. Kentucky at Tennessee, which is unfortunately just not that exciting at this point. Um, number 18, Wisconsin, goes to Indiana, an Indiana team that just, with all the, their injuries, is their season is on the verge of derailing. They've lost three straight to Iowa, Northwestern, and uh, Penn State. They got smoked by Penn yep. state on, on Wednesday night, like 85, 66. I think the final score of that one was uh, two o'clock, you know, sacrilegiously on ESPN two. Kansas state is at TCU. Um, that one is fantastic. What game is on ESPN at two? What's on ESPN at two o'clock on a Saturday. What time
1: is the Iowa state, Kansas game? That's this weekend too, right? Um, is that one later? That's on ESPN Plus. It's the Big 12 thing. Yeah. Okay.
0: So what's on ESPN at two o'clock? There's no game on ESPN at two o'clock. Is it? Unless it's a game that's between two unranked teams, but I find that hard to believe.
1: Is it NFL playoff coverage?
0: No, I don't think so. I'm not going to pretend like I've memorized which game is when. Because I'm pretty sure the isn't the only ESPN game of the weekend. The Monday night one. The Monday night one?
1: I think you're right. Hold
0: on. I'm, I'm scrolling quickly through the, the non-top 25 matchups. Oh. <laughs> Trivia time. <laughs> Who's playing on ESPN at 2 o'clock? <laughs> is that supposed to give me a hint? Your, your Your hint is that one of these teams was never supposed to be a non-top 25 team this year. The other one's the worst power five conference team in the country. The
1: worst power
0: five One of them.
1: And the other team wasn't supposed to be a top twenty. 20- oh, was supposed to be a top twenty-five team.
0: Yes. The the other team broke records for how fast they exited the top twenty-five.
1: Oh, that's right. I did see this game. Yeah, it was it was a tough that's I was thinking when they were reading the advertisements for these I think it was both ACC. Oh games. yes, I saw that. Yes, it yes, was yes. It... Tough, tough self. Well, North it was Carolina, Tennessee, Louisville, right,
0: and it was Tennessee. You, Kentucky okay, that was, was, the, that other was the other one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember thinking, <laughs> man, that is not the way they thought that slate was going to go. Um, yes, okay. So there is a college basketball game there. It's just not. It's just not a great one. Um, Providence and Creighton at two o'clock. The two o'clock. The two o'clock slot hitting hard. Kansas State, TCU, Providence, Creighton um, in that slot there um, at. Uh, the CHI Health Center Omaha. Make sure you say all of it. The CHI Health Center <laughs> Omaha. <laughs> I'm going to fall asleep. Um, Iowa State and Kansas at 4 o'clock at Fog Allen. Then kind of tails off at the at the back end of the night. You got Texas Tech in Texas, but it's at the Moody Center, so that loses some of its intrigue um, just because it's at the Moody Center. Uh, and then on on Big Fox. On Big Fox at noon on Sunday, uh, Marquette is at Xavier. So that's a good one as well. Um, good college basketball weekend as per usual. And, um, and we'll be there to to talk about it. The last thing I want to say is just shouts to Charleston to keep on rolling. Really good mid-major college basketball game last night between them, UNC yep. Wilming- Wilmington. Close one. They, close one. Um, they were up by 11 at halftime, and Wilmington – Clawed back into it, and and Charleston now seventeen and one. And I believe, I believe the owner of the longest win streak in the country. Hold on, Kim Palm will tell me. Yes, the nation's longest active win streak at sixteen games. So they keep on rolling. Pat Kelsey, whenever you need a brick wall to be run through, let me know from there. <laughs> um They're only they're only lost this year, actually. One that at this point, if they played again, they might be the favorite in? If they played a neutral site game against North Carolina tomorrow, would they be favored? I feel like they'd have to be.
1: It'd be real close one way or the other. Right? I mean, North Carolina haven't been that bad in ACC play. No. So maybe it'd be one or two, but you're absolutely right. It would be close to a pick Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about that?
0: They would probably be favored. Just I mean, Charleston is still 79th at Kempom. and like ultimately their wins, apart from the the run they went on in the event they played in Charleston that they won for the first time. Other than that, um, they haven't played very many teams, but they're 17 and one. They got a really good test last uh, last night against UNC Wilmington. So shouts to the mid-major action going on at a high level. All right, I'm out of stuff. Ready to get out of here yep let's do it. Um, thank you so much. Please subscribe to the Jays for days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for days Pod, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter. Some nice, uh, some nice support on the TikToks. We appreciate that as a podcast. I listen to. He says, at the, when he's plugging the TikTok, he says, "We'll see you on the TikToks." I like that. <laughs> so, thank you for coming to the TikToks. Um. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, YouTube bite sized content, uh, kind of chunks taken out of the podcast uh, in subject based little clips uh, on the YouTube channel, as well as the full podcast and video form, and then TikTok, the fun size content happening over there. That's all we got for you. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh, he's Josh, and we will see you.